You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Find out why the Hidden Yardage podcast is Bill Belichick's most videotaped podcast in his collection. I'm Mark Lane. You can follow me on Twitter at the Real Mark Lane. Got Sean Martin around, and you can follow him on Twitter at Sean Martin NFL. Sean, thirty-eight to three, Dallas over New England. What do you make of it? I forgot how much fun we can have with these opens after a win. Man, so much nicer to be talking to you after a win. No storms in the area to knock out my power. No skies falling, both figuratively and literally after the team loses to the Cardinals. So 38-3 to is quite a statement. There's obviously some nuanced stuff to it that we'll get into shortly here about, you know, just how much you can buy into the lopsidedness of it. Where do they still have to improve? Where can we believe this team is actually making strides? And all of that will be put to the test next week against the 49ers. But, yeah, for now, this is a bounce-back performance that I think even exceeded the best possible expectations for this game. I had a lot of confidence in the Cowboys coming into this game. I really thought they'd bounce back. You know, the Vegas spread was six and a half. I thought my most optimistic outlook on this game was to win by probably double that. You know, I felt like 14 was comfortable in this game, and they go out and win by 35. So they smash expectations. They make a lot of big plays, of course, mostly on the defensive side of the ball and really turn Mac Jones into a one-dimensional type player, which has been favorable when teams can do so to him. So good on Dan Quinn's defense for doing exactly that and bouncing back and showing that they can carry this team. Yeah, I think if this were any other team, it would kind of have a bah humbug feel to it, which is what I think Cowboys fans should still take because these aren't exactly, you know, the same Patriots from – you know, five to seven years ago. So in that regard, there is a little bit of bah humbug, but at the same time, I think Dallas showed that they don't play with their food. They don't play down to their competition, that they do separate themselves from, you know, the rest of the pack, you know, pending that they don't have a bunch of injuries happen in practice that week. Yeah, I mean, this is just a banner week for... If you thought you knew things about this year's NFL season early on and trying to you know, invest in your early returns, if you would, this was a week where you got humbled and you just kind of cut your losses and we don't know a whole lot, it seems, just yet. And, you know, these teams have to develop still. You look at scores like what happened in Tennessee where the Bengals finally get a win and you thought that would give them some momentum to beat a team they expect to be under Joe Burrow and then they score three points or lose 23 to six, 27 to 3 things like that Tampa Bay goes into the Superdome to Baker Mayfield wins 26 to 9 so you know it was a week where you really don't want to put too much stock in what you believe beforehand it's just one of those things at the NFL you know it's why it's king it's why we go out every Sunday and enjoy these games the way that we do because you really just don't know what you're going to see and like I said for even for Cowboys fans like myself and everybody else who was 
in the line of thinking that they were going to win this game pretty decisively, I still don't think you expected 38-3 to in the manner that you know, New England has battled in every game this year. Yeah, they battled against lots of competition, and that's why it might have been a good sign for the Cowboys to really get this big win. But, yeah, they've battled no matter what the circumstances is. If they need a big takeaway or a stop on defense, they've gotten it. If they need a splash play on special teams, they've gotten it. But the Cowboys just shut that down in all three phases and controlled this game from start to finish. And be sure to subscribe to the Hidden Yardage Podcast on the on the Blog and the Boys Podcast Network. You can find us on Apple, Spotify, TuneIn, and Stitcher. And there are also other great podcasts as well, such as the NFC East Mixtape with RJ Ochoa and Brandon Lee Gowton as they look over the happenings of the NFC East. Dallas, Philadelphia, New York, and Washington. That comes out on Tuesdays. Um, So we've got, as well with the Cowboys, this theme of it's like if the defense isn't humming, you know, the whole team isn't humming. Do you think that this team has shifted to where now it's a defensive-minded team and the defense carries the team, the defense is the identity. By the way, I got to ask you before I get into that real quick, am I a bad football fan or a lesser football fan for not knowing the 20-yard line itself wasn't part of the red zone? I've, you know, you're just so ingrained in, oh, you know, the red zone's the 20s, but it's actually the 19. You know, 20 is just like the sexier answer of like, you know, a nice round number, 20 to the goal line makes sense, and NFL red zone is built around it, but for stat keeping and everything, it's the 19 because C.D. Lamb's touchdown was 20, and I didn't get him off the hook for a red zone score. So I didn't know that until today. Well, that's why you got to listen to the In Yardage podcast is because that's the that's the hidden yard <laughs> right there. We should just ran you know a QB sneak for a yard and then through that same play to Lamb would have had the same result and changed the outlook of you know probably our entire server run down. So there's your hidden yardage of what we talk about being based by three feet or not. Look, I do think this is a team, you know, I wouldn't go as far as being saying being carried by the defense. You know, there's certain buzzwords in this sport that, you know, carry different meanings. And I feel like carried is one of them. And in this particular team's case, it just falls right back on a certain player. That would be, of course, you know, Dak Prescott. When you use the word carried, it just puts that pressure right back on him. Of, oh, was he the one being carried? And, you know, I don't want to open that can of worms right now or really get into any of that. But. Yeah, I see a defense that, you know, certainly is complimentary. I saw a defense, first and foremost, and this went such a long way in this game, that just played pissed off of based on what happened last week. You know, that's the biggest thing. They were embarrassed against the Cardinals. Upon further review on the tape, you know, our Joey X at BTB did a great job breaking some of it down. And, I mean, the Cardinals just had you. They caught you in so many bad looks. You had, you know, anytime Micah Parsons was lined up at defensive tackle, they were able to just run it right at you because you didn't have your size in there to tackle when he was on the edge. They did some speed ops and things. I mean, they had all the answers for all the creativity from Dan Quinn's side of the ball. They sent Quinn back to the film room to look at a much more simple offense, if you will, for the Patriots. I mean, yeah, there's nuance to it because it's a Belichick team, but it's still, you know what you're getting. It's see it, throw it, middle of the field, Mac Jones to Hunter Henry, that type of thing. So easier task for Quinn this week, and they were up for the challenge of not you know, playing down the competition and saying, oh, we're just going to play our coverage, force them to go on long drives and beat us. No, we can go take this game to them, regardless of what the offense does. Let's go be the reason we win this game, of course, which they were in a huge way because of the two defensive touchdowns, right, and Vanderas, 
scoop and score. And then the bigger play being Deron Bland's first interception of two, and it goes to a pick six. And that really helped them sure up a lot of their defensive secondary issues that they weren't ready to, um, you know, really show against the Cardinals when they were playing without Trayvon Diggs and adjusting in that way for only knowing they'd be without Diggs for a matter of days at that point. So, yeah, as far as carried, not carried, what's the identity of this team? I think we'll put that question on the self until next week against the 49ers and really be in a better place to answer that. But as far as how it looks coming out of this game, I see an offense that knows how much talent it has, knows that they can hold back at times in terms of, you know, still trying to figure out what to do in the red zone, of course, and that's next for us. But they can hold back as far as having to use every gadget and take every shot and get every receiver involved because they know what works for them and then they know the defense has their back in that same way. And as soon as the defense counteracts, you know, one thing which might be throwing to see the Lamb, Lamb is shown that not only can he still make plays in those situations, Michael Gallup and even in this game, Jalen Tolbert and Brandon Cooks can make plays. Kevontae Turpin got involved as well. And then with the unfortunate injury to Rico Dowdle, you saw Deuce Vaughn have to be kind of the uh, between the tackles. Let's kill some clock running back, which is quite the uh, quite the thing to see. That was quite weird and a little bit entertaining and almost comical to see, you know, Deuce Vaughn trying to be the guy to keep the chains moving towards the end of this game. But yeah, it's definitely a defensive identity team by now in the way that they can turn things up and go from playing passive, playing aggressive, playing any look they want and having the confidence that when they hand the ball back to the offense, the offense knows exactly what they have to do to just kind of keep things in line for what Quinn's defense expects to do, which is exactly what they did today. Yeah, with the defense, it seems like if they don't get their opportunity to put their statement on the game that Dallas is compromised, and that that's what happened in the Cardinals game, was the defense, you know, they didn't really show up with their signature takeaways, and then that's what you saw happen was the Cardinals just kind of dictated the game. Well, I think it's a tandem. I mean, both both sides need to put that stamp, you know, kind of in tandem with each other. The defense makes its best plays after, typically right after the offense, you know, either puts up points or makes a big play. Or the Van Der Esch touchdown came after, you know, Jalen Tolbert flew down there and covered a punt for you and made a big, big splash play on special teams to pin them back and create a pass rush situation for Sam Williams where he sets that whole play off. So, you know, the fact, I don't think this defense feels that pressure that you mentioned there of like they have to make their stamp. I think they just more in all three phases, this team is really confident in the talent they have and they play off of that in terms of, you know, hey, our time is going to come, but you guys go make your play and then we'll kind of feed off of that and make a play as well. If special teams does something, then it's time for the defense to show out. If offense does something, then it's time for the defense and they play kind of in unison and in tandem of what they can do. But of course, we do want to see more from the offense, and this game could have been, you know, 50-something to three if they did. But with what the offense did, it was enough to kind of hand that baton to the defense to go make those flashes that you mentioned. Yeah, and the defense and special teams, they produced 15 points, you know, which would have won the game on its own. Um, But Mm -hmm. just with the way, you know, that the defense gets involved, I think that's what is helpful for the Cowboys, no matter the talent level, is when they make their statement, and they're going to have to do it against San Francisco. Sorry to, you know, look at San Francisco, but, you know, they're going to have to have 
It, I mean, they did it to the Eagles in the Gardner Minshew game last year. They showed up and had just one key takeaway, you know, that got things going that just kind of let the opposition know, hey, you know, we're here too. And I think that that is what they've done well sans the Cardinals game. Yeah, by the way, I put into a be off the Monday after the 49ers game, not in any kind of negative connotation way of, you know, expecting a loss and not wanting to not go in, but just getting towards the end of the year here, finding days to use. And I'm like, well, it's going to be all eight podcasts. We're sitting here right now uh, recording at halftime of the, or the start of the third quarter, really, of Jets Chief Sunday Night Football. But of course, we can't do that when the Cowboys themselves are playing that night game. So it'll be kind of a late night, but uh, just know that I'll be ready for it with the three-day weekend in Texas, Oklahoma on that Saturday, too. So quite the football weekend to look forward to going ahead. And Cowboys fans get to start it off with victory pole on Monday, thanks to this 38-3 to effort that could have been much bigger. And as you pointed out, I think it's a good point that I haven't seen, you know, the game being looked at in this way yet. But even if you only had the defensive scores and it was 15 points, with uh, Chauncey Goldston <laughs> catching a two-point conversion, wasn't that quite ridiculous. But... Yeah, there was 15 points and not 14 could have held up in this game themselves. So really, uh, you know, complete taking a part of the Patriots offense by the Cowboys defense. Bones Fossil talked about it last year when it comes to fakes is the players have the autonomy to call them. So if they so it's not like they're like they just go in, oh, let's run a fake. If they see something, go ahead and do it. And that's right. Basically what happened. I want to see the bingo card ahead on back-to-back plays, Leighton Van Der Esch and Chauncey Golston scoring this season. Yeah, well, whoever has that uh, probably has a new mansion in their own private island. Um, so do you think that this defense, the secondary, has adapted to losing Trayvon Diggs? Yeah, I really like what I saw from the secondary. I mean, of course, how can you not with just Jerron Bland in this game? You know, did more than enough to really give you confidence in one of those corner positions and then Stefan Gilmore has quietly been you know his all pro self and the veteran on the other side but one of the hallmarks of Dan Quinn's defense of course is creating you know I, I call it chaos basically just in the middle of the field and you know confusion there for opposing quarterbacks and different arcs and guys buzzing in and out at the second and third levels that's the hallmark of a defense that's very multiple and hard to kind of put a pin in exactly what they do and what's their MO. If you had to pick one thing for the Cowboys defense under Quinn, it would be that in terms of how they view, you know, middle of the field coverage and pressures alike. And they really struggled against the Cardinals in that area. The first domino to fall after the Diggs injury was Jaron Coase kind of played out of position more in that game. In week three, he was outside of the box more. Donovan Wilson made a season debut. So that was a nice, in theory, it was a nice swap to be able to say, okay, Coase, you're going to go out because Wilson can do some similar things, but he was still getting acclimated, and then a lot of other things didn't fall quite in the place in that game of how you're looking to line up. But now there's so much confidence in Deron Bland in both the outside and the slot, wherever you need him most, and certainly it seems like his ideal position to make the biggest impact would be outside going forward. With Bland and Gilmore in tandem, they got right back to doing what they do best in the middle of the field. Yeah, there was still probably one too many you know, open throws to a guy like Hunter Henry, who was the Patriots' leading receiver in this game. But you're going to let Mac Jones take, you know, dump off throws to Hunter Henry all day when he hasn't proven that he can 
push it downfield, get it in the end zone. And the Patriots, frankly, don't have the speed on the outside. They haven't for years to get it behind any defense, especially one that's guarding a big lead. So, you know, that's nitpicking when it comes to some of the things they did to Henry, but they do have room to improve there when it comes to tightening up coverages just a little bit in the middle of the field and what that's going to look like against tight ends like George Kittle and, and whatnot going forward. But, yeah, so many answers came together for this defense thanks to the dynamic duo of what we thought would be Gilmore and Diggs, and right now it's Gilmore and Bland doing basically just as good work and Bland being a star when it comes to you know the ball coming his way and finishing and knowing that going back two years now that he can make those plays and finish it in the end zone like he did today. That duo really went a long way in giving Quinn the confidence to continue to figure things out with Javon Diggs. So they've had one setback because of his loss. They've had one triumphant win, and they have all the reason to think that they can continue to get better and better and make up for that loss even more so without it. Yeah, and you figured that sooner or later Quinn was going to figure out just the combination that would work in the secondary. Um, You didn't know how quickly he would arrive at the solution, but you figured if he had all of his tools available that he'd be able to do that. And I think that uh, this is where the uh, going for um, Stefan Gilmore really pays off because you know, think of if they would have had to have cobbled together a solution when they Sean Wright and uh, Kelvin Joseph over on the other side. And if you don't think, you know, teams can quickly pick up on a weakness at corner and, you know, really exploit it for big plays. I mean, just look at what happened on the CDLM touchdown. I have a note about this coming out in my game notes that I do every Monday or after every Cowboys game. And, it was really good to see, you know, the Cowboys for years were criticized under Kellen Moore specifically for not being able to identify those matchups and, you know, just kind of running their plays regardless of what the defense was giving them and not IDing where they could really have a mismatch. But in that particular sequence, you had, of course, Kristen Gonzalez, a star rookie for the Patriots, has already came away with an interception against Tua and the Dolphins offense a couple of weeks ago. He goes down with an injury, did not return in this game. And in the UDFA corner that replaced him runs out there against Lamb. They take a shot next play, get the touchdown. And really, you could say early on, that was almost a dagger in this game just based on knowing how the rest of it played out. So that was definitely an encouraging sign for this offense to be able to call that. And you know, they probably would have called it almost regardless just because of the confidence they have in Lamb right now doing it against anybody. But to do it against the corner not named Gonzalez, who was the Patriots, you know, already been one of the Patriots' best secondary defenders was a big play for him to uh, to get the offense rolling in this game. Again, that's just part of the adaption that uh, you see go on. And that's why it always just um, puzzles me that, you know, they continue to use Micah Parsons as a pass rusher well into the fourth quarter like that. Um, you would figure that you'd kind of put him in bubble wrap and not let something, you know, adverse happen to him. Because um, he's basically... If he could have a better time trying to put an actual physical eye in and bubble wrap than getting Parsons to 
take his helmet off and be bubble wrapped on the sideline. Yeah, that's true. That's true. But, um, but you know, you just don't want anything adverse to happen to him like what happened to Diggs. I'll be it, it happened in practice. But, um, you know, still, you just feel like Quinn can come up with anything. I mean, look at what he's been able to do with Dante Fowler. Now, Fowler was somebody that he had on his radar in Atlanta, which is why I brought him there. But still, look what he's been able to do with Fowler. He just gets anybody, and he has a role for him. Yeah, the waves of pass us, you know, certainly make up for, like I said, the point I just made there of, you know, teams being able to quickly identify matchups in the secondary where the Cowboys potentially have, you know, the great equalizer when it comes to that. If they do have a setback at corner or somebody struggling out there, they could seemingly always find a way to draw up a pressure that would make up for it and, you know, have Parsons make those splash plays. And if not him, then one of those other names you mentioned. So it was interesting on both sides of the ball, I'd say, to see, you know, how this team closed this game out once it was pretty clear, of course, that it was in hand. I mean, the Patriots at all are not a team built to play from behind. So whatever point you want to call off this game, you know, is almost irrelevant. It was pretty clear that if they're not built to play from behind, this wasn't a game to be playing from behind on the road against the team off a loss like this and with a little something to prove, specifically in the defensive side of the ball, it all compounded into Belichick's worst career loss, as we know, now coming out of the game. So, yeah, it was interesting to see how they closed it out. I already mentioned, you know, the comedic element almost to Deuce Vaughn being the end-of-game running back. We certainly need to keep an eye on Rico Dowdle's status throughout this week because I really think, you know, there's a chance to feature him more, particularly with the red zone woes. But defensively, yeah, the pass rushers there at Parsons is never going to let himself be taken out of the game. So he set the pace and the tone up there for the defensive line. But, yeah, it seems that they've come into their own. They could line up just in their more normal stances. They didn't need to do a lot of the crazy things they did against the Cardinals. But, and I, I mean, I don't even quite understand, to be honest, why they felt they needed to do some of those things against the Cardinals, and I know I'm not alone in that, but somehow, you know, the matchup against Josh Jobs has created a lot of mismatched defenses for the Cowboys that they felt like they'd be able to use to their advantage, but the Cardinals flipped the script on them. Mac Jones, pocket passer, you let the defensive line just go take their matchups, play straight up, play the positions they're best at, go up against two backup offensive linemen that New England had in this game, and the results were exactly what you saw, which is not only Parsons, but Guys like Fowler being able to win their reps as well. and uh, On the interior, you saw Mozzie Smith being able to get off the ball well. They stopped the QB sneak on fourth down. That was kind of a forgotten play thanks to the other bona fide turnovers that you had that ended in points in particular. But that was another turnover that you got in there that changed the script of this game when it was still close at 10-3. to 3. So the entire defensive line, I don't want to say, you know, had a great game in terms of just they exceeded expectations, but they had the game they knew they could have when they came in knowing how New England's offensive line was going to look, how the quarterback was going to stay in the pocket. They took full advantage of those things. With the defensive line having things fixed, um, it just begs the question, what in the heck is going on on the other side of the ball with the red zone? I mean, why is everything from the 19-yard line on in? Yeah. <laughs> Um, still an issue with this team. Where, where do I file my formal, like, you know, motion to make the red zone at the 20? I know you tried to get the whole, like, Happy New Year thing. I don't know. Maybe that's why the FBI was calling your phone yeah. the other day. 
Yeah, I'm gonna. If, if, I actually did answer that, and you know there was no voice on here. And if they if they call back and I eventually get a voice, I, I don't care what they have to say. I'm just, I'm interrupting and telling them that this you know this conversation doesn't continue until the red zone starts at the twenty. But look, it's frustrating to even talk about it at this point because you know it's a bugaboo thing for a team that's winning games. And yeah, there's one ugly loss in there that they have work still to do to put it behind them because we don't know how the Forty Niners game is going to play out. But of course, we expect you know, quite the battle and a war in that one. So I think Red Zone just needs to become an extension of, you know, what they're doing outside of the 20s. And it almost sounds, you know, obvious or stupid, right? But look, they're using these receivers in a in a way that is more dynamic than it was under Kellen Moore. I mean, I've been happy with the way Michael Gallup has gotten involved. It was a vintage Michael Gallup type play when he had his longest play of the game right there in the first quarter on the opening drive with that 29-yarder, and then you go down and <laughs> kick a red zone field goal. So it just they need to continue to trust these receivers to win one-on-ones. They're doing so outside of the red zone, and then we seem to not want to throw those jump balls or those fade routes that Kellen Moore like to call down there in the red area. That doesn't seem to be something McCarthy is going to. I mean, I almost hate to say it, but we've talked before about Dak Prescott not having his best season and performance when his receiving core was supposed to be at its absolute peak. You know, when they had the dynamic trio of C.D. Lamb, Amari Cooper, and Michael Gallup, that was supposed to be as good as it got. But for whatever reason, the chemistry and the connection wasn't there. And Prescott actually got better when, you know, the picture was a little bit clearer. And it was just, here's how we're going to line up. Here's who needs to win their matchups. And mainly it was on C.D. Lamb at that point. And he's done so and gotten better in every single game he's played in. And now here he is, one of the best wide receiver ones in the NFL. So the trust is still there to throw him red zone balls. You know, I don't know if the answer is just continuing to force feed him and do it even more than they have. But if not him, throw those same looks to Gallup in a jump ball situation or find ways to, you know, mix in the run game when you get Rico Dowdle back and then do so, considering the only red zone touchdown in this game was a Hunter Lucky touchdown. You'd have to think there's some more opportunity for Dowdle. But in the past game, Considering we like what we see from these receivers outside of the 20s and at the 20, I think it just needs to be an extension of what you can do that same way in the red zone. And, you know, forget if you're seeing double coverage or safety over the top. Trust these guys to go up and win at the catch point, which is exactly what they've shown they can do. I think some of it is the fact that they you don't have that Ezekiel Elliott type of um... – you know, back, which Hunter Lepke could be, or, you know, in some people's fantasies. Um, you also... <laughs> That's why I say doubt will be... I'm, I'm, you already know I'm here for the Hunter Lepke hype. So. You also don't have a quality tight end down there in the red zone as well. I think that those two elements, and then really the big one is just the offensive line route now and the state of flux it's in. I think the combination of those three elements are what ails Dallas in the red zone. You can see the effort is there to get the ball to these tight ends, which kind of makes it frustrating because I feel like they're trying to, on offense, you know, feature everybody to create this illusion to their defense of, oh, you you better be ready to guard anything at any time type of thing. You know, we know this from the Jason Garrett years and there's some truth to it and, and just from watching other teams and, whatever direction you want to go with this, but 
defenses don't look at their side of the ball that way. What annoy, you know, what gets to a defense to even more so is when they know exactly where the ball is going, and you still find a way to beat them. You know, you still find a creative way to get the ball to CDLM, which they did just one yard side of the red zone as we've been hitting on. But you find creative ways to continue to feature consistent players that can beat you, and only then, after they've done so, you know, time in and time out, do you pull your counter and hit somebody else that's wide open. But it just seems like McCarthy is determined to, you know, feature everybody, which isn't inherently a bad thing why we're still early in the year and we're still in a feeling out phase, but it just seems like, you know, we've talked all off season about an embarrassment of riches and how good can this offense be? And it's almost like he's hearing that and wants to live up to our expect, the fan expectations of what the offense would be as opposed to just what's the best version of this offense that they internally know it could be. And that's, you know, leaning on a guy like Lamb And then I think Michael Gallup right behind him, as opposed to feeling like, okay, I just called a play for Cooks, now I got to go Gallup, now I got to go back to Cooks. Oh, we forgot about Lamb, you know, oh, now it's Pollard's turn. It just seems like, you know, a lot of mouths to feed an offense that doesn't need to be as complicated right now. It's Dak Prescott playing with confidence, getting the ball to receivers that can win one-on-ones. That's be all you need down there in the red zone. But for whatever reason, these past two weeks, it hasn't been. And, of course, their red zone percentage is going to be garbage all year. So even after they fix it, uh, you know, they'll still be probably – Middle of the pack by the time they, you know, go into the playoffs. Hey, as long as we're kicking field goals, scoring some points down there, and the defense plays like this, they'll have a chance. But yeah, it is, it is a weird note to have hanging over the head of this game. I mean, I've ne- you never want to find negatives in a thirty-eight to three game. You can be critical and talk about room for improvement, but it's with the big asterisk of. Oh, by the way, you won 38 to three, but this one feels significant enough where you know it's actually, and it's not. Of course, it's going to be us talking about it. It'll be the guys on first and ten, and all throughout the week, you'll hear more on this topic for sure if you weren't tired of it after the Cardinals game. But it's deserving. I mean, it is definitely deserving because style points are one thing, and you know my stance on that. Everybody does at this point, but they don't matter. But there's there's also a difference between just pure style points and can you take control of games in an easier, even easier manner than they have, which this one wasn't that hard, but it could have been even easier just by simply scoring down there in the red zone, which you just know is going to come back to hurt them at some point if they don't get it fixed sooner than later. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to the Future of Work, a Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the Pod wherever you get your podcasts. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, well, here on the Hidden Yardage Podcast, what we like to do is 
just kind of go beyond, you know, and just take a look at what isn't being talked about that's relevant to the team and just kind of, you know, get you thinking about the future. And something that's coming up is the NFL trade deadline. And I want you to think about it, Sean. What position group, if, you know, because Dallas, you would figure, would be buyers. Um, what position group would you trade for right now? This one's kind of off the cuff, but I might actually look to add a, another defensive tackle to this group. I think that you know, you're seeing Parsons being used over the center quite a bit and that's really working well, but there's a difference between, you know, using him as a pass rusher over the center and having to use him in your rotation to tackle because you don't necessarily have, you know, the same embarrassment of riches there that you do at defensive end and throughout the rest of the defense. So you don't want to, you don't want a progress stopper for Mozzie Smith. You have a veteran in Jonathan Hakins who's still performing. You have also Diggy Zua who was a bit quiet in this game, but it's been great all year. So, you know, you don't necessarily need someone that's going to be a huge part of the rotation, but I think just continuing to further the development of this run defense, continue to get your guys playing in the right positions, which is really what this Patriots win came down to. It was getting guys playing in the right spots again. Cardinals game, you just had way too many busts and guys out of position and guys doing unnatural things that we haven't uncharacteristically seen them do. You got right back to playing everybody in their best spot in this game and look at the results. It couldn't have been better. It was nearly a shutout. So I think you expand on that by keeping guys in the right spot. If you can get another guy that can line up there in between the tackles or over a guard and help you in run defense first and foremost. And if you get someone that gives you anything and pass us, you know, so be it. But just another Swiss Army knife option in the Dan Quinn defensive line rotation on the interior would be appreciated. Well, well, you go interior, I would go on the edge and just try to find somebody to uh, just another body, another wave that you can throw after the opposing passer. So that's where I would go with the deep is on the defensive line, um, but out near the edges. Uh, just somebody that great pass us versus coverage. To yeah, be. yeah. I mean, I'm just, I'm the type. I, I, I just want uh, Michael Parsons. He's good at that. He excels at that. But I don't like him getting pigeonholed in that. I like him being everywhere on the defense, and finding a quality pass rusher, you know, kind of helps with that. Yeah, I like the thought there. I just think you know, I, I think the opposite of what I said about you know, not having progress stoppers and liking you guys, but not impeding anything that they're already doing. If you added somebody with what you have at defensive tackle, you know, I think the opposite of defensive end. I'm willing to ride with what you have and thinking that these guys will just keep getting better with reps. You know, I don't want to mess with the rotation to the point where a snap that Dante Fowler or Sam Williams could use to get better and get that needed pass for us is going to someone that, you know, you just brought in off the street, potentially. So I'm with this defensive end group just getting better on their own, whereas a tackle, you know, you could see another body in there. And relative to being buyers, I'm sure they would be, but I, I don't think that they would do anything. Um, and everybody is in the market for offensive linemen. Let's just get that out there. So I don't think anything would be made on that front. But that really is 
where they could use help. If you could add one Toy Story character to this Cowboys roster, what would it be? Um, I, I would go with uh, the pig. What position is he playing? Left guard. Man, we could use that. I like that. What's the uh, name of that slinky dog they were using as the first down marker? Slink. I would go with that. Yeah, the slinky dog at tight end, you know, because it could just, like, extend and go up to catch it. That's what we need in the red zone, or extend to block and got some speed, too. Give me the slinky dog. Yeah, yeah. Um, The slink, he was played by, uh, voiced by the late Jim Varney, who was Ernest P. Whirl from those, um, you know, it's Christmas Ernest and all those Movies from the 80s and 90s. You know what I mean? All right, let's go ahead and get to the Cowboys' birthdays for this week. On Monday, tight end Jim Price played for Dallas for three games in 1993. Turns 57 on Monday, and he's from... Englewood, New Jersey, taking a look at our list. Kind of a eclectic, uh, all-over-the-place birthday list this week, but you know I always appreciate when you find a, a Jersey native, North Jersey at that, in this case, to... Uh, to throw on the list, of course, I was just there, you know, a couple of weeks ago, uh, at Life Stadium for a couple of concerts, and then the Cowboys the week after opened their season and beat the Giants. And now, as we record, I've been watching the the Jets really try to put in a great effort against the Chiefs here to, at MetLife. So it's been an interesting few weeks for that stadium. Uh, but nonetheless, you have a New Jersey native who made his way to the Cowboys, which is always cool to see, Jim Price. All right, and he believes in Taylor Ham, so. They don't want anything to do with him on Wednesday. Yeah, it's unfortunate. Isaac Holt uh, turned 61. He played cornerback from Dallas from 89 to 92. Only member to come over from the Vikings uh, in the Herschel Walker trade to, hey, get a Super Bowl ring. On Saturday, Blair Thomas turns 56. He played running back for Dallas in 1994. Big deal. Well, he went ahead of Emmitt Smith in the 1990 NFL draft out of Penn State, and he was the guy, and he was going to be the all-pro running back. He goes to the Jets, and, you know, that that tells you all you need to know. Uh, but it's, So then he ends up backing up Emmett Smith in Dallas, and those are your Cowboys' birthdays. What's your biggest uh, college football takeaway of the weekend? That Arkansas's uniforms, for some reason on the TV, looked like Texas's, and it was – unsettling when they played A&M. Were they wearing the white or the red? I don't know. They were wearing red, but like, like the um, pattern of the uniform and everything. And the white helmet made it look like it was Texas. Interesting. Mine is the most boomer take of all time, but I miss when SEC games had a lick of defense. I, I was working and watching the LSU All-Miss game and 55-49 for an SEC game just makes my head Yeah, hurt. what the heck? I mean, how many defensive touchdowns were there in that game? <laughs> All of them. And then Brian Kelly's LSU team had a chance from like the 25-yard line to throw it in the end zone on one last play. Yeah, that's just, I don't know. It's in the Big 12, but don't be too welcoming for, you know, Texas and OU start to have no defense and high-scoring offense. Those are fighting words in my neck of the woods this upcoming week, so going to be a fun one. One of these years I will make the uh, the pilgrimage up to Dallas for that game. I am going to Cowboys-Rams in a couple of weeks. I, I should probably like to know about that, but and our listeners as well if they'd like to meet up or anything of the sorts. But I'll be up there for Cowboys-Rams. One year I will do so for instead of a Cowboys game, which is my you know first and foremost reason I would ever consider going up to the Dallas area. I will do so instead for UT-Oklahoma. It just feels like something I need to experience for sure. Yeah, and you'd get the experience – the Texas State Fair. 
That's what you need to experience. I mean, I've been to two rodeos already, so like the state fair just falls right in place with that. You know, I've enjoyed my time at Austin Rodeo. Houston Rodeo was a step up from that. And I saw Kenny Chesney there, and then the state fair is like the trifecta. Yeah, yeah. Do the state fair. Um, and, you know, if you go to the uh, Red River Showdown, you'll definitely have a chance for that. Um, before we get out of here, Sean, what are your triangles of triumph this week? Obvious one to start with on defense. I'm going to go with Deron Bland. You know, been a fan, I think a lot of us have been a fan of his since his rookie year. Came on, had the interceptions, fit Dan Quinn's you know, philosophy to take the ball away and scheme like a glove. I was even staying up late on Saturday night for a bit of his alma mater's game, which was Fresno State, uh, who has been impressive. They're snuck into the top 25. They're playing well. They blew out Nevada and uh, you know, didn't give up an offensive touchdown until the last 10 seconds of the game. So Fresno State still playing hard-nosed defense. You can see that you know players out of there are, are developed to uh, come play well at the next level, but probably none more so in recent history than Deron Bland, who, have, of course, had the two interceptions on Mac Jones and the big pick six to really open the floodgates on this game. On offense, I'll throw a bone to Hono Upke. I mean, so much talk on red zone when he's the only red zone touchdown in two weeks, it makes sense to, to give it to him. So triangle of triumph for him. They were trying to run out clock, like I said, of Deuce Vaughn, and that wasn't quite working. And so you have to give him a break somehow too, even though he's your RB3. You didn't have Dowdle at this point. And Pollard on the bench, so you go to Lucky, and he's able to get to the end zone. So who knows what types of looks that will create. You know, the 49ers could have to watch that this week and take a look and be prepared in a different way than they would for Upke, if not for a garbage time touchdown. So such is the NFL, and good for good for UDFA, Hunter Upke, to get in the end zone at the end of the game. And then my third one is always going to be typically away from the sport or the Cowboys specifically. I'm going to go with this awesome, I'm sure you saw this too, this U2 concert that happened in Vegas at the Sphere. First of all, I've been seeing, we've all been seeing about the Sphere. I don't even know there was an inside, you know, Vegas, typical Vegas fashion, you know, don't just put up anything for whatever. I didn't think it had a practical purpose. I thought it was just, you know, a giant ball that was an LED screen too or whatever, and they could do cool stuff and it looked cool and everybody took pictures outside of it and we were all happy. You could have a concert in that thing. I mean, I don't know who besides you two is going to play there anytime soon. I think it's like an exclusive residency thing and I don't know if I'd go out there for that, but Man, if there's any act that I'd like to see, I mean, the visuals that I'm were just amazing. I'm sure it's been all over your Twitter timeline. Many Cowboys fans can say the same as to following all of our Cowboys news. This thing has just popped up in all of our feeds too. But when you talk about the best possible visuals for a concert, it doesn't get better than that. And that's how you know you had a good concert when the visuals match you know, the audio experience as well. That's what really makes it next level. And to, say, and to say that the sphere was next level was almost selling it short. So that was absolutely incredible to see. And you know, I hope one day I can uh, experience it in person. All right. For me, my triangles of triumph uh, receiver Jalen Tolbert for that flick he laid on special teams. Because when you get that type of effort on special teams, you know, that just speaks to uh, really the culture and the attitude of your team. Uh, Neville Gallimore, he makes, uh, he's one of my triangles of triumph for having two combined tackles and a tackle for loss, even though they've drafted Osa Odigajua, 
You know, you got Chauncey Golston. Well, Golston's a tight end now, so you don't get to worry about that. You get Mozzie Smith. The forgotten third rounder from 2020 <laughs> at Oklahoma continues to battle. And then finally, Brian Anger for that perfect, perfect spiral that he threw to Golston on that two-pointer. Those are my triangles of triumph. I like it. I'm just looking off into the distance a bit of my TV for the Sunday night game. And, you know, what's the, was there an official over under and how many times they were going to show Taylor Swift? I mean, this is just out of hand at this point, is it? Yeah, I don't do Taylor Swift talk. So there it is. (laughs) 